Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning as we continue our series, I just want to plant the seed in your minds that a good signal for our spiritual health is our response to sin. How we're doing spiritually. Sometimes you can feel great. Sometimes you might not feel so great. But regardless of your feelings, a great signal for our spiritual health is our response to sin. Now, we know that all have sinned. We're all sinners here. And even if you are saved, you have sinned. We read the verses about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Yes, of course he was saved. Of course he was inspired by the Lord to, to pen the words that are there, but he had a daily struggle with sin, just like you and just like me, and just like every other believer that's been throughout history and will be until we get to heaven. But the question for us as an indicator of our health is when you sin, what do you do? When you sin, how do you respond? Now, before we get too far into this topic of how we deal with sin, I just want to lay the foundation uh, regarding sin, beginning, first of all, with the definition of sin. When we say the word sin, what do we even mean by it? What is sin? How do we know what it is and whether we have it or not? Well, the Bible has given to us a number of descriptions of sin, definitions of sin, that will help us to understand, all right, how do I know if I have this or not? The first of which is the breaking of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. So all that the Bible says, if we disobey it in any way, that is disobedience to the law. That is transgression. You stepped over the line that God has placed in the sand, and that is sin. Every disobedience to God's word is sin. When the Bible says, thou shalt not, and we do it, that is sin. When, we, when the Bible says, you should do this, and we don't do it, that is sin. So that is the first definition that we see. The second is not doing right. All unrighteousness is sin. Every disobedience to God's word is wicked. And uh, though some may have some, you know, disagreements here and there, but for the most part, we know what is right. Amen? Amen. And we know what is wrong. And we have all done wrong. Amen? Amen? And we knew we shouldn't have done it. And yet we did it anyway. And we, we know those things, you know, all unrighteousness is sin. Also, not doing good is sin. In the book of James, he says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, many people, when they consider, oh, I'm a good person, they think, well, I haven't, uh, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't stolen anything, I've never even told a lie, all of these sorts of things. But many sins are not sins of commission, but sins of omission. Not things that we do against the Word of God, necessarily, but the things that we are supposed to do, but we're not doing. The Bible says that we should go and teach all nations. We should share the gospel with those that are lost. Amen? Amen. Right? That's in the Bible. God says we are to go. Go ye therefore. We are to go. So if we are not obeying that command, that too is sin. When somebody is out there that is lost, and, and of course we know that we can't reach any, every single person, but we can reach somebody, 
And when we're not sharing the gospel with anybody, that is sin. That's disobedience. When God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but as the manner of some is, but uh, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, we could say, oh, you know what? I'm busy with other things. I got this other thing that's going on in my life. You know, my workplace has asked me to do this and my kids are involved in these different activities and, and we can make all sorts of reasons and excuses, but the, if the Bible says something and we don't do it, that is sin. Another definition of sin is not trusting God. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Anytime we don't trust the Lord and we trust in ourselves instead, that is sin. Proverbs chapter 24 even says that the thought of foolishness is sin. Even thinking foolishly is sin. And the end point of all of this is to say that God hates all sin. All of it. Every single one. God hates sin. Every disobedience of God's word displeases him. And the thing about it is, every one of us is a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Isaiah 64 says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So we know what sin is. God has told us disobedience is sin. When God tells us to do something and we don't do it, that is sin. Thinking foolishly is sin. And God hates sin. Every single one of us is a sinner. And there are consequences to sin. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. That's a problem. If we have all sinned and we have all disobeyed God's word, there are consequences that are coming. The wages of sin is death. Isaiah 59 says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's a problem if we have sin. We have to deal with sin. We have to address the sin. It is for sin that Jesus died on the cross. 1 Corinthians 15 says, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. You know why Jesus had to come to this earth? You know why Jesus had to die on the cross? He had to come and die on the cross because I broke God's word. Jesus had to come and die on the cross because you broke God's word and you have sinned against God and somebody had to pay for the penalty of sin. But thank God that he, loved the soul, the, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know what sin is by the word of God. We understand that every single person here in the room is a sinner. We understand that there are consequences to sin. But in regards to our spiritual health, the question is, okay, if we know what sin is and we've 
we all recognize that we're all sinners. We've all sinned. What should we do about it? How we respond to sin is an indicator of our spiritual health. If we know all of these things, do we feel bad about it? Do we even notice it? Do we feel ashamed of it? Are we even proud of our sins? We don't even notice it. We put it on social media. We don't, we don't, we don't even think twice about how, you know, oh, this is sin. I, I, you know, and we're just letting the world know, hey, look at me. I'm living in sin. We tell our friends about the sins that we commit, and, and we, it doesn't even bother us. God tells us that if we have sin, we have to feel something. If you smash your finger with a hammer and you don't feel anything, that's a problem. Right? You would think there's something wrong. <laughs> I really hit my finger with this hammer and I'm not feeling anything. You should go to the doctor and say, doctor, uh, I think there's something wrong with my finger. Maybe there's something wrong with me. You know, Old Testament picture of sin was leprosy. Now, leprosy was a very unique kind of a disease, and there's all sorts of different, you know, symptoms and things like that. But one of the aspects of leprosy that was unique was it would begin to damage the nerves. And if it progressed far enough, it would damage the nerves to a point where the person would no longer be able to feel anything. And uh, if you were to put your hand on a, on a hot pot, you would immediately feel it and pull your hand back. But a person with leprosy that has degenerated these nerves so much, they could put their, their hand on that very same pot and not feel anything. Now that's a problem. And that's going to do some real damage. And the Bible makes it very clear, 1 Timothy chapter number 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There are some that are in the faith, but leave the faith. Why? Speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The idea is, you ever get a callus? You ever get callus so much that you can't feel anything? You know, when I was uh, uh, growing up, uh, I went to, I was living in the Seattle area, and the church there would have a men and boys camp out uh, every summer. And so, you know, uh, the men of the church, we would get our tents together, and we would go out, and we'd camp, and people would bring food and stuff like that. We'd have a guest preacher, and we'd be out there a couple of days, and, you know, people would, you know, uh, chop down some trees, get some firewood going, and, and stuff like that. And there was a man who had uh, recently, I think he had moved to the area and joined the church. And, uh, you know, he had, some, uh, he had some kids, and so he brought his boy along. And, and uh, so uh, I had never really known him. I think he had been to the church for a little while before that point. But, you know, we began to talk a little bit, and I found out he was a mechanic. And, uh, you know, he was a real big guy with really big hands, you know, the kind of hands when you, when you shake somebody's hand, you like to wrap your hand a little bit around their hand. Uh, his hand's so big, you can't, you're just kind of putting your hand out there and he wraps his hand around yours, you know? Like, he's got these huge, massive hands and uh, really, you know, rough hands, you know, like you might expect with a mechanic, you know, really rough hands. And, and uh, he had been a mechanic for, at that point, I don't know, 20, 25 years, maybe even 30 years at that point. And he was saying that his hands had become so callous that, 
he could reach into the oven and pull things out of the oven with his bare hands. And I was thinking, I don't know if that's true, but he kept insisting on it. Now, maybe it's at a little bit of a lower temperature, you know, or whatever. I don't know exactly. But the point was he had gotten so callous that he couldn't feel what some of you and I could feel because his hands had become so rough and so thick that he couldn't even feel things. And the, and the book of 1 Timothy is describing those that have beaten and battered their conscience so much that their conscience can't even feel it anymore. When they sin, their conscience doesn't bother them at all. And the reason is not because that they're doing what is right, but that their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. It's been calloused by sin so long that they're no longer able to feel anything. So a good indicator for us is to consider when we sin, how do we respond? How do we feel? What do we do next? So I want to see three healthy responses to sin. What should we do when we sin to understand this is the way a healthy person spiritually would respond to sin? Number one, recognize your sin. The first healthy response to sin is recognize your sin. Every single person struggles with sin. Everyone. You struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. Your husband and wife struggles with sin. Your parents struggle with sin. Your kids struggle with sin. Your pastor struggles with sin. The apostles in the Bible struggle with sin. Everybody struggles with sin. Now, how you acknowledge that is a good indicator of your spiritual health. Because some people deny the sin. Yeah, I'm not a sinner. I didn't do anything wrong. That's not sin. They cover it up. They try to pretend like they never did it. They never lied. They never lusted. They never cursed. They, they, they try to pretend like, uh, that, that's not sin. That's not wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. They deny it. Some people downplay it. Oh, okay, yeah, it's a sin, but come on. It's not really that bad, is it? You know, everybody does it. See, he did it, and so did she. And, you know, how, why are you picking on me? There's nothing different. What could I do? I couldn't help it. Some people even say, nobody's perfect. Come on, let it go. It's just a little sin. Some people downplay it. Some people react to sin by defending it. They say, I had no choice. I, there was nothing else I could do. If you were there, you would have done exactly the same thing. Uh, there's, there's a number of ways to respond to sin. Some people react to sin by justifying it. In the New Testament, in the book of the Gospels, uh, there's a man that comes up to Jesus and asks, how might I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the Bible say? That's a great answer. You know, oh, how do I do this? What does the Bible say? And he said, well, you should love the Lord thy God and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's a great answer because what did Jesus say about the law? He said, the great commandment is love the Lord thy God and the second is like unto itself, love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commands hang all of the law 
every other law is, a, is an example or a subset of those two laws, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But this man was a clever man. He wasn't a simple man that would just receive the word of God as it was given. You know what he did? He, the Bible says he willing to justify himself asked, and who is my neighbor? You know, that's good lawyer talk, right? You might watch a TV show about, you know, the courtroom and lawyers and stuff like that. And they say, well, it depends on what you mean by the word word or whatever. You know, they come up with some, you know, loophole about how they could get around it. They're not willing to just, you know, accept it as it is. But the point is that the heart of that is that he wanted to justify himself. And that's a very common response. The flesh naturally wants to justify itself. We naturally want to justify ourselves. Well, it's because I was going through a really hard time. Well, it's because this is the way that person was talking to me. And if you were treated this way, you would respond the same way too. And it's not my fault. That person did it. And so it's very common. But the best thing spiritually for you to do is to recognize your sin. If you've sinned, call it sin. If the Bible says thou shalt not, and you did it, confess it and say, God, you said don't do it, and I did it, and that is sin. There's a great example in the Old Testament about King David. King David was the king of Israel, and he committed adultery with, uh, with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the wife of one of the, uh, the mighty men in the army of David. And uh, he committed adultery with her. And then uh, she uh, had a child. And so David's thinking, how do I get out of this mess? How do I come out of it looking like I'm still good when, when he had committed sin and he called Uriah back? And ultimately he had Uriah killed and ultimately the baby died. And, but David was still in denial of the sin. He had not yet come before the Lord and confessed it to God and said, God, I have sinned against you. And so God sent his prophet to to David's courtroom. He went to the throne room and he said, David, I, I got a story for you. I want to tell you this story. And he said, sure, tell me the story. And so he began to tell the story about this the poor man who had a single sheep and the neighbor next door was filthy rich. And, uh, you know, he had a guest come over. And of course, he wanted to do something for the guest. And instead of taking one of his own lambs, he went over to his neighbor and he took the one little lamb that he had and the one that he loved so much. And that's all that he had. And he took it and he killed that lamb. And, and uh, he said, oh, what should be done to this guy that was that had all of this and instead of taking of his own he took his neighbors and he said yeah he should die you should kill that man and you know what the prophet said he said thou art the man he said this is not a story about some shepherd and and some rich man over there this is a story about you and your sin you have sinned against god now how did david respond did David say, well, if you were there, you would have done exactly the same thing. You would have thought exactly the same thing. And, and uh, well, how, would I, how was I supposed to know that this situation would arise? And did he defend it? Did he deny it? Did he justify it? Psalms chapter 51 gives us his response. For I acknowledge my transgressions. He said, and my sin is ever before me. You know what he was saying? He is saying, 
even if I'm away from everything else and busy in the, in the, in the administration of the kingdom, my sin is still there in my thoughts. My conscience is bothering me. I know that I have sinned. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest. You know what he's saying? It's not for me to justify myself, God. It's for you to be justified and be clear when thou judgest. Paul, the apostle, was a great follower of Jesus Christ. He was a disciple of the Lord. He was a close follower. God used him greatly in the ministry. And we don't know all the details of his life, but this one thing we know that Paul struggled with sin. We read the verses in, in Romans chapter number 7. We read about how he said, oh, these are the things that I know I shouldn't do, but I do them. And these are the things I should do, but I don't do them. And I, I don't want to do them, but I do them. And I, I should do these things and I want to do them, but I don't do them. I, he's spending this whole time struggling with this uh, daily battle against sin. Now, of course, battle is not something that we want to be in. But if we're here in this life, we're in a battle. And being in the battle is actually a good thing. Being in the battle means that you recognize that there is sin and there is a flesh and it's leading you to do what is wrong, but you want to do what is right. Remember what, uh, what Jesus said to uh, Peter, James, and John when they were in the garden and, and he was praying and he came back. He said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I hope that you at least have a willing spirit that you haven't given up yet. You still want to do what is right. You still want to follow God. You still want to obey the word of God. That's where Paul is at. He says, I want to obey the word of God. I, I, I don't do it as I ought to, but I want to do what is right. I still acknowledge my sin though. First Timothy chapter one says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. They said, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm not just any ordinary sinner. I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. You know why he thought he was the chief of sinners? Because you and I don't know all the sins of each other, but you and I know all the sins of ourselves. I know all of the sins that I've committed. The thoughts that I've had, the things that I said, the things that I should do but I didn't do, and the, the, the responsibilities I've neglected, all of these things. I know my sins, you know your sins. And Paul's conclusion was, even though he was a holy man, he felt like, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I could list all of these sins that I've committed against the Lord. I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a real sinner. Now, I want you to contrast the attitude of the Apostle Paul with the attitude of the Pharisees. What's interesting about this is Paul used to be a Pharisee. Remember he used to be a Pharisee? Remember he was like one of the leaders in the groups of the Pharisees and he was the one really getting out there and leading the charge in the persecution against the church. We see after he got saved his attitude towards sin, but let's take a look at how the Pharisees approach sin. We can see that easily in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 23. Here is Jesus speaking to the, to the Pharisees. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, clean first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. He says, 
Well, you can really buff up the outside of the cup, but if the inside of the cup is still dirty, the cup is still dirty. You got to clean the whole of the cup. And he's saying, you Pharisees, you look great on the outside. But on the inside, I can see your sin. You know, we could come here to the church services on, on Sunday morning and look great on the outside, but how are you doing on the inside? You could sit here in the pew and have a terrible attitude. You could sit here in the pew and say, I'm not going to listen to the Word of God. You could sit here and say, all right, when is this going to be over so I could check off the mark and say, I'm a good Christian. I came to church and go off and live and sin the rest of the week. we got to clean the outside and the inside. Verse number 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. These were the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked like the most holy religious people on the outside, but within, they were full of pride, rebellion, self-centeredness. They had all sorts of problems on the inside. They looked good on the outside, but they had a lot of problems on the inside. This morning, as we gather together, I trust that most of you are saved, but I acknowledge that there's most likely at least one person here who is lost. For those that are saved, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you die, praise the Lord, you go to heaven. But if you are yet in your sin, when you die, you go to this place of eternal judgment the Bible calls hell. We know that the wages of sin is death, and we know that people go to hell because of their sin. But it's not just because of sin that people go to hell. Because Jesus died on the cross for sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So how could it be that if Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and yet people still could die and go to hell? How could that be? One of the reasons is they don't want to recognize their sin. They don't want to acknowledge, I'm not a good person. They don't want to acknowledge that they are a sinner. They're still trying to uphold this image of, look at me, I'm still pretty good. I'm not that bad. See, I'm better than that guy over there. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, or one of the Pharisees, rather, in, in John chapter number 3. And in that passage is one of the great verses of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Everyone is a sinner. But because Jesus died for all sins, everyone can be saved. But you know what he says? He continues, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why would some people not believe in Jesus Christ? Verse number 19. 
This is the condemnation. You know why some people don't want to uh, get saved? Remember, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. We just looked at the Pharisees. We just looked at their attitude. They want to look like, look at me. I'm pretty good. See, I go to church every week. This is a condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to acknowledge that they were wicked, that they were evil, that they were sinners. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So a good indicator for us spiritually is are we willing to sit under the light of God's word and see all of the sins that have stained our lives? Number one, what's a healthy spiritual response to sin? Recognize it. Number two, repent over it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 8, here is Paul, he's writing the second letter to the church at Corinth. We have 1 Corinthians, here is 2 Corinthians. He's written a first letter, now he's following up with this letter. He says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. What he's saying is, in the first letter I wrote to you and I dealt with you with all of the problems. But you guys had a lot of problems in the church. You guys were divided among each other. You guys wanted to be uplifted and you guys were climbing over each other to get the most attention. You guys were even doing things that the, the, the lost people out there would look at the church and say, even we don't do those things. And he said, I had to address these things. And I, I didn't really feel good about it, but I had to do it. And I, you know, I, I didn't feel good that you felt bad about these things, but I'm glad that I wrote it. I'm glad because you repented of it. You saw it, you acknowledged it, and you repented of it. That is a great response to sin. That's the healthy response to sin. Not to deny it, not to hide it, not to cover it, but to say, God, I confess it and I repent of it. God, I have sinned against thee. God, will you forgive me? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. First of all, God wants everybody to be saved. But the, the lesson here is that God wants to give you opportunity to repent. Luke chapter 24 says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and it thus it be behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Proverbs chapter 28 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See, the spiritually healthy response when you are spiritually in sin, when you are spiritually hurt and damaged, is to come to the great physician and say, God, will you heal me again? 
and he will. Romans chapter 2, or despisest thou the riches, or the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we acknowledge our sin, we can repent of our sin, but there's a third response that is a good, healthy response to sin, which is, for lack of a better way of saying it, resist against sin. If we have sinned, we can acknowledge it and we can repent of it, but then let's not run right back into it. Amen? Let's not come on Sunday, repent of our sins, and then Monday go back and do exactly the same thing. Let's not come every Sunday and have this just as a habitual thing of like, God, I did this thing again and I keep doing it. And, and to praise the Lord, God is merciful. God is patient. God wants to give us grace against sin. Of course, we understand that we still have a flesh within us and that, that flesh has victories against us every day, but we desire to follow the Lord. But we must be actively guarding against sin. The book of Romans says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Praise the Lord, God is willing to forgive us of all of our sins, but should we really go back and run into sin every single day and every single week and run into it and be happy about it and just say, all right, I, I got repentance of sin. God forgave me. All right, I'm going to go right back into it. It says, should we really live that way? Romans chapter 6, verse number 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth... We should not serve sin. Verse number 11, Likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lesser of. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. You know what God's desire is for every believer to acknowledge the sin that they have, repent of it, but then also to live in victory over it. That is God's desire. Awake to righteousness and sin not. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with sin every single day. And every single day I think about these temptations and there are sins that come in our lives and in my life and in your life. How can we have victory over sin? What can we do? We've acknowledged our sin. We've repented of our sin. How do we have victory over sin then? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 tells us, call upon the Savior in your temptation. Hebrews chapter 4 says, we have, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you face temptation, you know what you should do? Pray. Pray to God and say, God, I'm facing temptation. Give me strength. Give me your grace. I need your help. I cannot have victory in myself and in my strength. God, I need you. Call upon the Lord. Number two, remember the end. 
Romans chapter 6 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end of everlasting life. If you're saved, you're free from sin. And when you do what is right, you can have everlasting fruit and, 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 and have some of the rewards of that. And remember, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying is sin ultimately leads to death. So don't forget, sin might feel good today, but ultimately it leads to destruction. So remember that. Remember that. James chapter 1. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know why people have problems in relationships and problems at work and problems with their feelings and emotions and, and problems all, all across different areas of their lives? You know why there are problems in this world? Because of sin. And so what God says is don't live in sin. You know that the wages of sin is death. Number three, don't quit. Every one of us is going to sin. I can guarantee every single person in this room is going to sin this week. And I can guarantee that every single one of you will sin next week too. And the week after that. And every week until we die, we're going to sin in one way or another. But that doesn't mean that you should quit. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't stop in the fight. You might get tired and you might get weary, but don't quit. Proverbs chapter 24 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You know what's the difference between the righteous and the wicked? The wicked fell and stayed down, but the righteous said, You know what? I'm going to get up again. And he falls down and he gets up again. And he falls again and he gets up again. And he falls again, and he gets up again. And he falls in sin, and God confronts him with his sin, and he repents of his sin. And then he falls again, and he repents of his sin again. And he falls again, and he repents of his sin again. Seven times, 70 times, 7,000 times, he continues and continues, and he continues. Let me encourage you, don't quit running, and don't quit fighting. Fourthly and lastly, we need to run from temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Everybody faces temptations. And the temptations that you're facing, others are facing as well. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So in every temptation that you face, God guarantees that you can win. There is no temptation that cannot be overcome by the Lord. Now, how does God give us the ability to overcome it? You know what he says? With the temptation also, make a way of escape. You know what God says? You know the best thing that you could do in temptation? Run. If you have a problem when you're by yourself, and you're in your room, and you're on the internet, on your phone, or on your computer, you know what you need to do? Get out of there. Get out of there. 
You know, if you're, you're hanging out with your friends and they keep tempting you to go out drinking and they keep tempting you to, hey, let's go do this thing and, and they keep tempting you, you know what you need to do? Get out of there. Hey, you know what? If you're facing some temptation in your life and uh, there's some app on your phone, there's some situation that you know you're going to face. And, and of course, we understand that you know, some of these situations are, are inevitable because, of course, we live with other people. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm a sinner and my family is sinners and your families are sinners. We're going to go home and, and sometimes we'll say things the wrong way and we'll be tempted to respond in different ways, things like that. But, but the basic idea is if we can... Let us run from the temptation. Get rid of it. You don't need Netflix. You don't need social media. You don't need the internet. It's, well, maybe you do need the internet. <laughs> maybe you do need to text somebody, email somebody, things like that. But you know what I'm saying. Whatever it is that is putting you in a place of temptation, you don't need it. Get rid of it. Put it out of your life. Throw it away. Go find something else to do. Find somebody else that you can hang out with. You know why we have church meetings? To encourage believers. Let's get around other people that won't tempt each other to go out and sin. We're going to come together and we're going to encourage each other to live for the Lord instead. So let's do those things. Temptation loves the isolated Christian that's away from other believers because he knows he can pick them off. It's much easier to get a Christian when he's by himself than when he's with other believers. Hey, let's stick together. Hey, let's encourage each other. Let's help each other so that we can have victory over sin.